Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be this morning, and we, uh, we've actually already looked at this text before in our series on the local church, and I didn't mean for it to be a series on the local church, just some things that I wanted to preach about, and it's turned into a series, and the more study, the more I've enjoyed it, and, um, and one thing that I've really appreciated is the reminder that the local church is, big, is a big deal to God. It's significant in eternity. It is something that matters, uh, not just making a difference in your life. It makes a difference in the world. It makes a difference in the universe. I mean, really, Ephesians chapter 3, that what we are doing is displaying the wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in heaven. That's a pretty incredible thing um, that we have an opportunity to let the angels know. Here's the wisdom of God. Here's the evidence of what God can do in the lives of his people. And so knowing that then, um, this is maybe then more of a, we've had some big picture things and, uh, you know, the helicopter view or the 10,000 foot view. And and yet sometimes you need to go and have, um, as Jim Berg, I was talking to somebody about this this morning, has Jim Berg in his book, Change It to His Image, says you need a dashboard view. Sometimes you've got the view of the whole thing and, and, uh, and yet sometimes you just need to get where you are looking at the next step, that you're looking at something really close, uh, maybe even just looking at what the headlights of your car show you as you're driving at night, as opposed to being up in the sky and seeing what's coming next. And, and so this is really more of a micro view um, as opposed to a big view of things in Acts chapter 2. Let's stand as we read these verses and, and I'd like to literally look at what was happening in the first church. And this is not one of those uh, reveal a big truth kind of messages. This is almost more really just teaching. And I'll try to do it in a way that's not just teaching, but sometimes you need that. You just need to see, here's what the Bible says is the biblical expectation of a local church. Because there's all kinds of ideas out there, aren't there? Yeah, well, what does the Bible say? Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. That's a pretty good invitation, isn't it? 3,000 added. And they, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God. And having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. There's a lot here. We're only going to look at the first three traits, and then I plan to finish these thoughts tonight in our evening service. But the idea that I'm I'm giving this morning is this, keeping the main things the main thing. Keeping the main things the main thing. And you say, well, that's not very creative. It's the best I could do this week, okay? But really, that's the idea. Is if we want to know what our church should look like, if we want to know the biblical expectation of a local church, 
we need to read Acts 2, 41 through 47. And sometimes we get so caught up in the peripherals that we miss the priorities. And this morning I want us just to see that it's not about my preferences. It's not about your preferences. It's not about our expectations from culture. No, what does the Bible say a church should be doing? And that's what we'll look at this morning to keep the main things the main thing. Let's pray. Father, we need your help. I pray that you bless the reading of your word. And I pray that you'd help us each to have tender hearts. And Lord, I don't know exactly how this is going to apply to each person. But I pray that you'd help every person right now to begin praying the prayer. Lord, help me see how to, how to apply this to me. And I pray that we would all not just hear information that we think sounds good. But information that brings us to a point of decision. Lord, there's a choice, a decision to be made in our commitment to your local church this morning. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. GPSs are a blessing and a curse. Okay, I, I thought that might get a, some attention here. I, have you ever been using a GPS and you're watching it on your phone and, and you think you're in the right spot, but your GPS says you're driving through a field? Like a cornfield, it doesn't even allow for the street that's there. And, you know, and, and we get so used to the GPS sometimes that it can actually be a detriment to us. Now, and I try to tell my kids now that they're driving, I say, back in my day, you had an, a thing called an atlas, you know, a map. And, and if you wanted to get around town, somebody would give you landmarks, you know, go to the Burger King, turn left, go to the Dairy Queen, turn right. Go to, go to, you know, uh, Casey's and it's right behind, you know, you have these landmarks. You say, go to the tree that used to be there. It's like, how's that going to help me, you know? <laughs> oh, but GPSs are a blessing and a curse. I was re recently looking for something on, and I was, I had my GPS, had it programmed in. I'm driving around and, and I cannot seem to locate what I need to locate. I cannot find how to get in where the GPS is telling me to go in. So I'm looking at my GPS and I'm driving around the block and I'm looking at my GPS and I come back again. And then for a moment I think, okay, I should look up. And I look up and I see the building I'm looking for. It was right in front of my eyes the whole time, but I was so distracted by the peripheral that I was missing what I was looking for. Yesterday, my wife and I were getting off the interstate and we were, uh, we were pulling up uh, to an exit and... We had just come, uh, we were in Nebraska yesterday morning and we drove through Sioux City. And by the way, there's no construction in Sioux City. So you can go there again after like two decades. So um, we were driving through Sioux City and I looked at my watch to see the temperature. And it said something way different than my suburban temperature reading was. And I said, well, that's, can't, that can't be right. And I'm playing with that and looking at my watch and I'm pulling off. The, this is dumb, okay. I'm pulling off the exit and, and I stop and I'm still looking at my watch trying to figure out what's going on with it. And I think, and I see the light in my peripheral and I think the car in front of me went. So I started to go and my wife made one of these, you know, those kind of noises. And I stopped before I hit the car in front of me. I was distracted by the peripheral. You know, it's really easy and you say, well, that's not, those are, yeah, that's a big deal if you get in a wreck. Um, but it's, you know, that happens sometimes. Um, but can you imagine, though, getting distracted by the peripherals in, in something that matters in eternity? Like, it's really easy to get off course 
in our lives. I mean, can you imagine as a dad, um, then you, you're going through the motions, you're working your job, uh, you, you don't have time to really hardly be at home, and a few months passes and you realize, man, I haven't really communicated with my kids in a while. That's when it becomes a bigger deal. Or in your job and you've got projects to do, but you also have a task list of things that you've got to get done. You've got to answer emails. You've got to go through these things. And you get so wrapped up in the small things that the big things get dropped. It happens in life. It can happen in your job. It can happen at school. And listen, it can also happen in a church. Where we can get so wrapped up in the peripherals. We can get so consumed with, expect, with cultural expectations that we lose sight of what the Bible's expectations are. And you have all these expectations, and I understand that people come with expectations, uh, but you have people that come with this expectation that says, entertain me. You know, entertain me. And, and there are too many church attenders expecting a church um, that, to entertain them and to keep their interest. And I, I'm not saying that uh, what happens in a service, in a service shouldn't be interesting, uh, we try to make it interesting, but I can tell you this, if you're expecting to be entertained, you will leave disappointed. Number one, we can't touch the way Hollywood does things. We're not nearly as good as, as what they're doing on Broadway. We can't do that. That's not what we're designed to do. But number two, we do what we do for the Lord, not to entertain. And, and so our, our goal, our priority, yes, we should, I'm doing my best even right now. To keep your interest. But, but I'm not here to entertain you. I'm a terrible juggler. I look terrible in a clown suit. Okay? I mean, I read about a church, a major church in our country. Many of you probably have heard of it. And the, the, the pastor and his wife, uh, they came out dressed like Toy Story characters at a recent service. I mean, amen. That's the only, Jeremy just woke up. So, it's like, I, I would make a terrible buzz light here. Sorry. I mean, we're not here to entertain, but that's, that can sometimes be the expectation that people come in with. Sometimes the expectation is this, bail me out. Meaning, you know, and listen, we're here to help with your problems. We want to be a help, but, but sometimes the mindset toward church is, I've made a lifetime of bad decisions, and I'm dealing with those consequences now, and I need you to fix them. Now, Jesus... Jesus can fix all your problems, and I'm thankful for that. But one thing that we learn in life is that Jesus, while fixing our problems, doesn't erase our consequences. So yes, I would say come to Jesus Christ. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Just don't expect that your life gets easy like that, because it doesn't. You say, well, I don't understand. I'm following God, and my life is really, really hard. Well, before you assume that that's different for you than everybody else, consider that Jesus Christ always did right, and he died on a cross. So it's not like it's a guarantee that if you show up and you start doing things, that it fixes all your problems. No consequences are still part of life. Some people come in and they say, well, you know, make me spiritual. I'm going to come, and I'm going to come on Sunday mornings, and I'm going to listen to one 45-minute message, or 50 sometimes, or an hour if it's Brother Jeremy, you know. 45-minute message, I'm going to expect one 45-message a week to take care of me spiritually the rest of the week, and it better be good. Well, sometimes I'm sorry, they're not. Sometimes it's a flop. 
Sometimes it's a strikeout instead of a home run. And so what I'm saying is there, that you better rely more than just on one service a week to feed you spiritually. There aren't many people that get by eating one time a week. Now, being fed spiritually is going to take, yes, you must be in your place, and this is part of God's plan for our lives, but you've got to learn to have a walk with God seven days a week. Some people come in with this expectation. They say, well, this, uh, submit to me. You know, some, some come to church and, and the mentality is that, well, my preferences are going to determine this church's directions. And, and, I, and listen, I know that everybody, but understand, this is a problem if you say, well, this is my preference, this is my opinion, this is how things ought to be run, and I want them run this way. Understand, if 200 plus people in this room right now, probably, there are 200 plus opinions about everything. You know, so we, we can't operate that way we have an authority structure set up just like you do in your job just like you do in your family just like they do at school just like they do on a sports team and 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 we 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 get involved people it's not like you know we've got a hierarchy but there has to be an authority structure somebody has to make the calls at times and you may not always like it and listen I don't always like what happens but sometimes it's just the way it goes. But there's a cultural expectation that says, well, I get to call the shots or you have to listen to me or, or I have as much say as anybody else. Listen, uh, we have to get over those mindsets. Those are cultural expectations of a church. That's not what the Bible says uh, a church is operating like. What are the biblical expectations? That's what we really need to understand. And as we come to Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has, has been given to the disciples. Uh, the apostle Peter has just gotten up and preached on the day of Pentecost. He preached a gospel message and he got up and he said, You must repent of your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And listen, let me help you understand something right away. Is if you want to have a role in a local church, if you want to have a part in a local church, then it starts with you coming to the end of yourself as a sinner and acknowledging that you're a sinner before God, that you deserve to be separated from God, but Jesus Christ died in your place and you turn from your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ alone to be saved. And if that happens first, then you can have a role in the local church. But a local church is made up of saved, baptized believers. And, and that's where it starts. And you say, well, I don't know that I've ever begun my spiritual journey. Well, you can begin today. Jesus Christ makes the offer of salvation. And he says, today is the day of salvation. You can place your faith in Jesus Christ and spend eternity with God in heaven forever. So just as we come to Acts chapter 2, God has just been working. 3,000 people have just done what I just talked about. They just received Christ as their Savior. And upon hearing the word, they received it. And 3,000 people were added to the church in one day. That's incredible. Listen, I believe this influx of new believers then tightened up the church's need to focus on the main things. Because can you imagine... 3,000 people just got added to the church. But these weren't churched folks. These weren't folks raised in, in, in the United States of America that had seen how churches work and kind of understood. No, they didn't even know what a church was. I mean, they, they, they were saved from all walks of life, all languages. I mean, they're trying to come in. So the church says, all right, we need structure. We need to figure out how to minister to these people. How are we going to do it? So what did they immediately begin to focus on? 
Well, the first thing that they focused as a biblical expectation of a local church, they focused on gathering. They focused on gathering. Verse 42, it says, they continued steadfastly in the, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. You read that list, doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers, and you tell me which in that list can be done separately. Which of the things done in that list are they saying, okay, well, this person over here 20 miles away did it, this person over here. No, this is implied gathering. They were coming together. And not only that, they had already been gathering. If you look in the book of Acts chapter 1, they come together in, in verse 6. And Jesus gives his final commission in verses 12, 13, I think, in Acts chapter 1. After Jesus ascended to heaven, they go up to an upper room. And they're up there and they're in one accord and they're praying. This was already a church that was meeting before the day of Pentecost ever happened. And, and, and I believe, I mean, Jesus gives instruction regarding the church in Matthew 18, Matthew 16, and other places in the gospel. I believe they were already functioning as a church. And listen, one major part of the, of the very first church was this. Their priority was gathering, coming together. And you say, well, I'm not really sure that I buy that. Well, we know it's talking about the first church. Down in verse 47, it says, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. We know this is talking about the church. We know this is talking about that first church. And that word church is ecclesia. The vast majority of times that the word ecclesia is found in the New Testament, it means a local specific congregation. The point is that a local church is assumed in scripture. A local congregation is the primary way through which God carries out his purposes. And, and so much of what we hear in the New Testament is dependent on being together. How can you be a body unless you're together? I mean, in the New Testament, we hear things like love each other. How can you love each other unless you're gathered together? Love is not a feeling. Love is action. The Bible says to serve one another. How can you serve each other? How can we do that if we're not together? It says encourage each other. How can we do that unless we are spending time together? It says exercise your spiritual gifts for the good of, the, of other people. How can you possibly do that unless you're with your church? Listen, gathering is the baseline for a biblical church member. It's where all of it begins. And if you're not here, you can't help this church meet the biblical expectations that have been placed on it. Hebrews 10 says, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The biblical expectation of a church is together. And listen, you have a choice to make. You can either fulfill the biblical expectation of a church member and gather, or you can neglect that expectation. And the choice is yours. We have gathering times, but it's up to you whether or not you're going to be here. I can't force it. I don't try to force it. I try to preach about it. But listen, if we are not gathering, can I say this boldly? If we are not gathering, we are not a New Testament biblical church. Is it consistent for you, your gathering? Is it every service? Are you helping this church meet the biblical expectations in your, or are you not when it comes to regards to faithfulness? Biblical expectation number two. So first is gathering. 
The second thing that we see here is giving the gospel. Giving the gospel. And you say, well, I don't really see that here. Well, it says down in verse 47, the Lord added to the church daily so that should be saved. How, how can you have people be added that get saved unless the church is actively giving the gospel? But not only that, Peter just preached a gospel message. He just got up and he declared in front of all of these thousands of people the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's just after Acts chapter 1 where Jesus says you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and unto the uttermost parts of the world. In Matthew chapter 28 the last words of Christ said go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Lo I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Amen. Listen, the Great Commission entails three things. It entails evangelism, which means that you go and teach all nations. This first church was actively doing that. Peter just got up and preached the gospel message. They were adding people that would be saved because they were giving the gospel. It starts with evangelism. We've got to go and we've got to tell the nations. But then second, the second part of the Great Commission is baptism. And you say, well, baptism is part of salvation, right? No, baptism is not part of salvation. Salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Baptism then is an outward sign of an inward change of faith. That you have been saved and you're letting people know that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. It's also an aligning with the doctrines of a local church body. But listen, baptism must happen in the discipleship process. It starts with evangelism, then we get to baptism, and then we go to discipleship. Those are the three primary parts of the Great Commission. And absolutely this first church was doing those. We know that they that gladly received his word were baptized, it says. They were giving the word, they were baptizing, and then it says they were teaching the apostles' doctrine. Listen, if we want to be a local, I'm sorry, a biblical church that meets the expectations of Jesus Christ, we must be involved in the Great Commission. A church's function is together, its primary task is the Great Commission. We're to give the gospel, we're to strive to see souls won. We are to see them baptized as a step of obedience. And we have verse 41, then they that gladly received his, word, received his word were baptized. And then after that, a church's focus is on teaching. Teaching what? Well, that leads to the next main thing, okay? So we've so far looked at the biblical expectations of a, of a church. And, and the first thing we see here is they're gathering. It's a church. They're gathering. They're coming together. We also, though, see that they are giving the gospel. And the third that I want to look at this morning is this. They were growing through the word. They were growing through the word. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And this is what I'll spend most of the time or the rest of the time on. It says that they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. Now the apostles, those were those that who knew Jesus. They walked with Jesus. They, they knew him the best. They had seen him not just in life. They had seen him after he rose from the dead. These were, these were the men that, that lived around him. And they taught uh, the, those, that early church about the meaning of Jesus Christ's death. And how he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And, and, and how all of those things were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Listen, but they didn't have the New Testament to pull out and teach. 
You know, some of us, we're like, you know, sometimes we're headed out the door and the kids are like, oh man, I can't find my Bible. And we're like, well, just grab that old one right there. There's a stack of Bibles. Always plenty of Bibles to choose from. That's not the way it was in the first church. They didn't have the New Testament. As a matter of fact, it was during this time that the Holy Spirit was impressing upon the apostles to write the words of the New Testament. The scripture of the New Testament was being witnessed, was being written right here. But until they had that in written form, the canon of scripture, they were listening to the apostles. They were listening to these eyewitnesses that watched Jesus live and watched him die and saw him after he rose from the dead. When the apostles spoke, people listened. And we don't have apostles still, but we do have their teachings through the preservation of God's word. We have a Bible. We have God's truth. And the emphasis here is that the word is foundational to our lives together. That's what I want, to, want you to see. That the word is the glue that brings us together and holds us together. The word of God is how God speaks to us. Hearing the word is how we grow in, in, in faith. It, it, the hearing or preaching, uh, heralding the word is the task of the preacher. Listen, the glue, the foundation of our church is God's word. Amen. That means that, and I can't think of a time that this has happened, but, but that means that every time we gather, the intention is that God's word is going to be opened. Right. And it may happen sometime that, that, we, that we go off script, and I think that's okay. But for the most part, our design as a church is on Sunday morning at men's prayer meeting. Guess what's the first thing that happens? Some man who's prepared all week and gets up and his knees are shaking like this. He gets up and for 10 minutes he, he proclaims and heralds God's word to us. That happened at 7.45 this morning. Brother Andrew Shirley, who also wins the best jack, suit jacket of the day award, by the way. Yeah, yeah I'll, you look at him later. It's fine. He got up here, and I'm telling you, he's, he's nervous about it, but he declared the word, and it was good stuff. 9.45, we have lessons and teaching going on all over the building, including this room, and today we had promotion Sunday, so who knows what happened today. But for the most part, we have teaching every classroom. Somebody opens the Bible, they teach God's word, they, they give Bible studies, their Bible stories, and it happens from the elementary or nursery kids all the way up through uh, the seasoned saints, we'll call them. It happens all every Sunday, that's what we do. When we gather together, see, here's the thing, we know that it's not about man's wisdom. We, can't, we have nothing to stand on if you're standing on what I know. We have nothing to stand on if we're standing on, on the wisdom of the oldest church members here who know a lot and have seen a lot. I'm thankful for it. But nothing we say stands in comparison to the strength and foundation of God's word for our church. We need the book to stand on. It is the glue that holds us together. And if we ever as a church get away from opening the Bible, we have gotten away from the main thing. And I'm not trying to down, look down on somebody else and what they're doing. But I have a tough time with churches now that, are, that go through things like a movie series on Sunday mornings. And they're talking about a Hollywood movie. And they're bringing truth out of a Hollywood movie. Is there truth maybe to be found in a Hollywood movie? I suppose so. But if you're starting with something besides God's word. And, and, and a Hollywood movie is what you're starting with. I have a very tough time with that. 
No, we, we start with God's word. Is it as entertaining as some churches? No. I, I, I can't touch the pulpiteers in some places. And I'm not trying to. We're not entertainers. We're not trying to just keep you interested. And honestly, we try to make it relevant, but it's not just about being relevant. It's just about preaching the Bible. And the Holy Spirit applies it and makes it relevant. No, we start with truth. And that is the key to the foundation of Eastside Baptist Church. Listen, there's so much that's dependent on the Word of God. If you don't have the Word of God, you, you know what? You can't be saved. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3 that the scriptures make us wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 10, 17 says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is faith in God's word that saves you. Let me ask you this morning, are you saved? Do you know that you're saved? Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ to forgive your sins? And you say, well, I had a moment back then. Did that moment include the word of God? Because if the moment didn't include the word of God, then according to God's word, it, you may need to examine that experience. Because it is, it is faith that gives us salvation, but faith comes by hearing the word of God. If you say, yes, the word of God is the reason, if you're saved, the reason that you understood your sin and that you, is because of the word of God, it gives, you the, it gives you the answers. It tells you you're a sinner, that you're a sinner. It tells us that we are condemned because of our sin in Romans 6, but it also gives us the good news that Jesus Christ died and we have hope in his death for our sins. Where would we be without the word? The word is how we're saved. The word also gives us spiritual light. It shows us how to live. First John chapter 1 says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanseth us from all sin. According to 1 John, it's truth that is light. It's God's word that is light. And we live in a dark world, and sometimes people are stumbling around just trying to survive it and say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to survive. I don't know what decisions to make. Well, you have a book that's called The Lamp Unto Your Feet and The Light Unto Your Path. And you may think, I don't know where to go for answers. This is the light that you need. Shows us how to live. The word also protects us from error in our doctrine. Early, either through ignorance or through error or misinterpretation, it's easy to misunderstand something in Scripture. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit is a more than capable teacher. He is all that we need, but sometimes we need some help to just understand some of the language. There are things that, that may be a little bit more difficult to understand. And listen, I'm not just talking about it as a King James issue. I'm just talking about there are things in the Bible that are sometimes hard to understand and you just need some help to have, have the light get shed on it. But listen, as you come into church, there are times the preaching is done and suddenly you're like, oh, light bulb, I see it. You didn't see it before. Well, that's what the Bible does. It says all scripture is given by your inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. This, is, this tells us what we're supposed to believe about God. It says it's profitable for correction. This tells us, I'm sorry, for reproof. It tells us where we've messed up. 
It says it's profitable for correction. It tells us how to fix our problems. And it's profitable um, for uh, righteous instruction in righteousness. How to live for God. Listen, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. The word of God is what we need to know what we believe. To know where we've messed up. To know how to fix it. And to live righteously. Everything we need is right here. The word is how we grow into being like Jesus Christ. You can't be like Jesus Christ unless you know about Jesus Christ. And we know about Jesus Christ through the word of God. Listen, this word, this book is profitable. It's the glue. It, we grow through the word. We have Sunday school classes teaching. We have doctrine of classes through the discipleship and the continue book. We don't do everything right, listen. But we are attempting to keep the word of God... ...as our main thing. If you want a biblical church... Here's, ...here's where I'm coming to. If you want a biblical church... ...find a body of believers... ...that prioritizes gathering... ...giving the gospel... ...and growing through the word. And, and we live in a church culture now... ...it says, well, you know, we don't want... ...we, we're, we don't want to be inconvenient... So we're just going to strip everything down. We're going to go down to one service a week. So it is to not be inconvenient. And I have a tough time with those kinds of decisions because the Bible says so much the more as you see the day approaching. Meaning we don't need less of each other in this culture. We need more of each other. We need more teaching. We need more exhortation. We need more encouragement. I need you more now than I've ever needed you. You need us more than you've ever needed us. That's the, that's the idea of Hebrews 10.25. So listen, if you are looking for a church, you're looking at a place to land, and you're trying to figure out where am I going to be? Where am I going to settle? Where are my roots going to be? Then I would just tell you this. Even if it's not at Eastside, find a place that is not trying to minimize gathering. But not only that, find a place that is least making an attempt to give the gospel. You know, we, we do our best. I, listen, we, we've got major improvements to make. But we, we have bus routes. We have people that go out on Saturdays. We have people that go out through the week. We support over 70 missions works. Like We are trying to do our best. Could we do better? Absolutely. But listen, we're not perfect, but we're doing our best to give the gospel. We have individuals every week who take tracks and invite people and they're involved in it as well. So find a church that's doing that. Third, find a church that is prioritizing growth through the word. In other words, don't go to a church that's minimizing the teaching. No, we don't need less of God's word these days. We need more of God's word these days. And there are so many applications to, to our church members how are you contributing to us being the biblical expectation in these areas? As a church member, are you minimizing gathering? Are you faithful to the service times at Eastside Baptist Church? And when you do come, how engaged are you? Are you involved when you come? Are you looking to be blessed or are you looking to be a blessing? Uh, how are you involved, church member at Eastside? How involved are you at helping us meet the biblical expectation of giving the gospel? When's the last time you handed out a tract? 
When's the last time that you told somebody about Jesus Christ? When's the last time that you presented the gospel to somebody in a conversation? Listen, we can say, bless God, be part of a church that's giving the gospel. That's one of the main things. But listen, the church doesn't give the gospel. Individuals give the gospel. So we are only as effective at giving the gospel as you are effective at giving the gospel. So we can say all we want that we give the gospel. We're a missions-minded church. But really, unless we as individuals are being faithful to it, then we can't really claim that. Are we being faithful to giving the gospel? Listen, as a church member of Eastside, if you're not involved in that, you're not helping us meet our biblical expectation of a local church. Third, growing through the word. How much do you prioritize the word of God in your daily life? How much do you prioritize it on Sundays? I mean, are, do you make sure you're on time for Sunday school so you can sit and you can hear the lesson? Now, better yet, do you prepare for Sunday morning on Saturday night? We do this. And we're laying out clothes. We're taking showers. We're getting ready because we want to be in bed early because the priority of growing through the word is the most important thing we're going to do on Sundays. Listen, how much are you, priority are you placing on growth? If, if, you, if the pre- people closest to you were to to gauge where you are today compared to where you were one year ago, how far would they say you've come or how far would they say you've gone backwards? How's your growth? That's church members. To the non-church members, listen, you may be saved and maybe you're looking for a church and you're just trying to figure out where to land. Let me just encourage you. Read God's expectations of a church and say, we're going to find a church that meets these expectations. That's what we're going to do. And I'm just saying, Eastside's not perfect, but we're trying to do our best to be a biblical church. And if you want to land here, I'd love to visit with you about it. To the unsaved folks, maybe you've come this morning, you don't know that you're saved, you don't know that you're on your way to heaven. Let me just tell you this, none of the things that we've talked about as a church really apply to you until you make the decision to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you do that this morning? Do you want to be saved? Do you want to spend eternity in heaven? You can. Jesus Christ has already finished the work of salvation. And all he asks is that we repent of our sin, place our faith in Jesus Christ. You can do that this morning. I really believe that if we go through the basics, I mean the main things... We look at the biblical expectations, set aside all the culture expectations and look at what the Bible says about a local church. I really believe if we do that, we can get back to the main things. And you have a decision to make. Now, this isn't just one of those messages where it's like, hey, this is good information. I'm glad I know where they stand. No, I'm trying to bring you to a point of decision. You have a point to make. You have a decision to make. You have a decision to make about gathering. You have a decision to make about giving the gospel. And you have a decision to make about growing in the word. Will you make a decision as the Holy Spirit is prompting you through his word this morning? Every head bowed, every eye closed. We're going to have at this time what we call a verse of invitation where we, we have the piano play and, and give you an opportunity to respond. I don't know 
how, how maybe the Lord has worked in your heart this morning. But I would say, you don't have to answer with a raised hand or anything. How, but but I, do you want to be part of a biblical New Testament church? Is that something that you desire? And if it is, listen, Eastside might be the place for you. Or there might be another church there out there that you think that's the place I need to be. Let me just encourage you. You need to be in a biblical New Testament church. I think you could start with a place like Eastside. And I think you'll get what you want. Listen, we're not perfect. We've got our flaws. We have things we need to work on. But we are trying to do things biblically. And I really believe that's where you need to start. To the unsaved, maybe you've come this morning. You don't know that you're saved. And you say, I would like to go to heaven, but I'm just not sure. Would you be willing to place your faith in Jesus Christ? Listen, you can make that decision this morning. And maybe that's something that God's prompting you to do through his word this morning. To our church members, have you minimized the priority of gathering? Or the priority of giving the gospel? Or the priority of growing through the word? How are you doing in those areas? Because we can only be as biblical of a New Testament church as you are choosing to be biblical in your own personal life. Because you are the church. We are the church. Let's just do business with God this morning. If the Lord's prompted you about anything, we're going to stand in just a moment. And I'm going to encourage you to make a decision. And I'll have the piano begin playing. I'll pray. And then we have the invitation open. Let's stand together as the piano begins to play. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for how clear and simple it is. God, help us to respond, to contribute to being a biblical church. Lord, I pray that you'd help us all to say this is what I want. And I need to take some steps in these areas as the piano plays. In Jesus' name, amen.